language, how we speak to each other, to ourselves, minute by minute, day by day, truly determines and empowers how we live our lives. Welcome to Opening Presence, the podcast about creative self-realization. My name is Aaron Robinson. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I sit down with Amiri Rose. He is a father and storyteller based in Portland, Oregon. In this conversation, we discuss the importance of language in crafting personal and societal narratives and how spending time in nature is a place where he and his sons can truly feel free. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, welcome to Opening Presence. Yo, yo, we are live. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to Opening Presence. My name is Aaron Robinson. I am sitting down in a beautiful, warm living room with an illustrious, well-accomplished black man in this world. Those are all strong words. I know. I, hey, I'm just trying to trying to pull. pull illustrious. Big, that's a first for me. I just pulled. I just took that from Jesus and Mary. Let's Mero. go with it. Let's go with it. Yeah, illustrious. Let's go with it. I'm with it. I'm <laughs> the voice you are hearing is Amiri <laughs> Rose. How are you? Oh my gosh. I am I am trying to work on like when someone says how are you? Like this is how I really am. Um I am in a really good space. I would say there's and when I say that there's some there's some tension in there that that's good as well. Mm. Um but I am navigating that tension. Some of it is going in a parking lot somewhere. That'll be revisited at a later date. But yeah, I overall, I'm in a really good space. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah we kind of touched on that when I first came over here. And first, thank you for uh, the hospitality and having me over here. I, thank you. Like, I've, like, I'm super grateful. So, yeah. But uh, like something that I mentioned when you said that, it was like we have like the tools like to to meet these challenges that we have or meet these emotions that we have. And um, I want to kind of give like a brief overview of like where, like, I guess awareness of you came into my life because, okay, so this is like, (laughs) I'm not a weirdo. I swear to God, I'm not a weirdo. I don't (laughs) think so. I'm just persistent. I don't think so. Not at all. Not at all. But uh, so I moved to Portland in like 2016 and before I moved to Portland, uh, I got into yoga. Yoga was my thing. Like I was mm-hmm. like I preparing myself for like the journey and and finding hot yoga in San Diego. And I was like, oh, when I move to this new place, like yoga is going to be the thing that that allows me to get settled within this like literally life altering experience for myself, sure. like being like 26 and moving away from home for the very first time. So I found a local studio called Firelight Yoga, and I saw another black dude in a class, and I'm like, Which Yo. is when that happens, you're just like, 
I need to know you. Yeah. Why, how you're here too? Yeah. yeah it's a, well, know. it was just it was just like you don't see that very often. But then there's just like there's like a level of self mastery that has to be obtained for a black man to be in that setting Fair. and knowing what he's doing in Fair. that setting Fair. and not like it's my first time type of thing. It's right. just like yo, like this is someone who practices and and has a practice. Like I need to know who this person is right. and then i stopped you on instagram <laughs> <laughs> that's where the awkwardness came in <laughs> kidding no but 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 then from that point it's just like all right well obviously it's like this is somebody who's interesting and and you're a fantastic writer photographer and all of those things that i want to get into but i'll stop talking i want <laughs> i would love for you to give kind of uh, me and the listeners kind mm-hmm. of like a like a biographical like overview of your life like where did you grow up like maybe your childhood oh, situation um, okay yep here we go yes uh, we're starting starting <laughs> so I was born in Springfield Massachusetts which is the uh, where basketball was invented quote unquote granted names Naismith is a Canadian but that's another story uh, so born in Springfield Massachusetts um went to was raised by my mom um mostly my mom raised by women my mom my grandmother my aunts um and my I was the oldest of my cousins uh and that point of you said warm like every house was always warm every house had its own identity but every house was always warm so you just walked into my aunt's house or walked into um my grandmother's house my grandmother's house was like the spot she had a spot in Agawam, Massachusetts, um, and her house was like, that's where New Year's Eve parties were, that's where birthday parties were, that's where family union cookouts, like everything was at her house. Um, and so we actually lived there for a while as well. And then eighth grade, I'm in public school the whole time, and then eighth grade my mom puts me in private school. And for me, probably that was the first time I was like, oh, I'm black. Like I am very, <laughs> just realized. I am very <laughs> black here. Um, okay, so there was an adjustment there of just like, you know, classroom sizes went from 30 to 8. Um, and so the pressure to like know the work, do the work, and not be able to be the quiet kid in the corner who just like kind of cruised through school. Um, there was a huge adjustment there, but definitely grateful. My mom definitely put me into that private school for a reason, like would take me to museums every weekend. Granted, they were the same ones. I was like, why are we going to the same museum. Did they ever cycle the artists? Again. No, like, the thing, like, I just remember seeing, I'm sure there were galleries, I just remember seeing, like, just animals, just, like, all these things. I was like, ugh. And then there was one gallery that I distinctly remember. I say that all to say, by the time I got to college, I went to Temple University in Philly. So by the time I got to college, art galleries were popping up, and I would just by myself just go. Like, I would ask, hey, you want to go to the thing? Like, yeah, nah. And I was like, I still just went. But I have to thank my mom for putting all that stuff in me. Like, she was the type of mom that was like, oh, for Halloween, like, you're going to dress up as Malcolm. So I did. <laughs> um, and there was definitely a Halloween where I dressed up as Martin. And so imagine this, like, you know, this twelve, this 10-year-old black kid knocking, saying trick-or-treat in this suit. And they're like, are you sure? Like, this is Halloween. What are you supposed to be? And I'm like, um, you know, they say, who are you? He's like, I'm Malcolm X. I'm like, oh, <laughs> here's your sickness. Bye. <laughs> like, uh, so there was... I had that type of mom who was very much aware of here are the private schools you need to go to. Here's the education you need, but all this culture I'm going to give you. Cause I also understand 
that school is going to give you that part as well. Mm. So that turned into majoring in AFAM studies um, at Temple. Uh, and, you know, in my head, you know, my mom might kill me, but she was like, oh, you're going to be a professor. And I was like, okay. So I say all that to say, like, this, how I was raised was very much like, there was a plan for me mm-hmm. to be, like, history professor, eventually dean of a school, blah, 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 blah. And I just took that on. And then I got to school, and I was like, I don't want to do that. So stayed, you know, graduated four years, um, did some master's work at Howard University then after. And that was interesting in the sense of, um, again, my mom wanted me to go to HBCU for undergrad. And I was like, nah, the world isn't like that. And so went to uh, Howard for grad school and was like, whoa, mm-hmm. black people everywhere. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Um, and so I soaked it in. Um, but there was also just a balance of, you know, trying to go to grad school with a full-time job or full-time jobs or like an intern in a full-time job, which wasn't easy. Um, and so graduated, well, did some master's work at, at Howard. And then from there, there at Howard also met my, met Tia, who I hate to say ex-wife, but I met Tia who became, who was my wife, who was a person I was married to for 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, we had two beautiful sons, boys, uh, Colin and Hugh, Colin's 11 going on 95 and Hugh is eight (laughs) going on 85. Um, they are old. They have been here before. It is real. When you see them, it's a whole thing. Um, and so I, you know, I tell people, I told people in articles before, but I've, I was much more at that time ready to be a father than I was a husband. Mm-hmm. much more ready to be a father than I was a husband. And I, I would say through all therapy work and et cetera, that what I didn't see as a kid, I wanted to have immediately. Sure. Sure. So what was that like with, as a kid? Like, did you know your father and was he a part of your life? Oh, that story. Um, <laughs> so I, at the age of, I'm 41 now at the age of 30, I got this. I, and at the time, I was like interning. So I was interning for Wax Poetics, writing for Oak Clay Flair, doing some stuff for Complex, writing for all these different publications, sites, et cetera, when people still call things websites. Um, and I started my own magazine, online magazine. Don't look for it because it's defunct and it's gone. But it was called Scheme. And we would interview everybody from like Jay Electronica to Nikki Giovanni to Amiri mm-hmm. Baraka. Um, so we interviewed, rest in peace. So we interviewed all these people. And it was it was cool. It was super green. Like it wasn't what I wanted to be, but it was something. And yeah. it was like making me really happy. That's all that's all that matters. So at I some, kept doing at some it. Point, yeah. Right. Um was not getting paid for that anyway, shape or form. But it was cool and I loved it. And so and at, th- at that point I also realized like story was what I love to do. Like I love to tell story. Mm-hmm. So long story short, then I get to I get this email one day. And this guy's like, this is about to be the best interview you're ever going to have in your life. And I was like, who is this? And three threads later in the email, he's like, my name is David Rose, and I'm your biological father. So the guy that I thought was my father, whose name was Dale Coachman Sr., was not my father. Wow. Right. So I then freaked out. Um, My mom was on honeymoon. I freaked out. I call uh, my grandmother, and I say, do you know who David Rose is? She drops the phone. So I said, oh, 
there must be something to this. And so got DNA tested. It was confirmed. And it, then I met him uh, one random morning in Brooklyn um, after I had said, oh, it'd be nice to see you one day. Mm-hmm. Not thinking that that day would be like two days later. Oh, Lord. Um, Eight o'clock in the morning, he knocks on my door and he's like, hi. But he had sent a picture, so I knew what he looked like. So he said, hey. And I opened the door and I was like, what? So I run upstairs to see and I'm like, hey, um, you won't believe who's downstairs. She's like, your mom. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, nope. And she was like, no. And I was like, yes. Whoa. Um, so he stayed for like two hours. We built a desk from Ikea that me, T, and I had purchased the night before. And... You know, she made breakfast and then he left. Uh-huh. Um, haven't seen him since. And we've tried to have, I've tried to open up conversation with him um, because more importantly for my sons, like I want them to know their grandfather. But it also was a thing of, uh, gosh, um, I didn't know all the things in the box that would unlock from having conversations with him. I didn't know that he would spring on stories that I was like, he would say stuff. Oh, like I saw you when you were a kid and you were in a barbershop and I was there, or I saw you play basketball. So he was around. He was around. Uh huh. I didn't know. The other thing was like, everybody knew. Yeah. But me. That's some shit. Everybody knew, but me. That's some shit. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's this dream where I like to be cool to have an intervention (laughs) with my family and be like, Hey y'all, what happened? Can somebody talk to me, please? Yeah. And there's not, I say all that all to say, I don't have anger toward, I did, towards my mom, um, but I don't have anger anymore. I'm just trying to get to a place of peace mm-hmm. um, with that. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not, I'll be lying to you if I said I was there. Sure. So. Um, wow. Thank, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel like I, my family is very much on the same yeah. on both sides. Like yeah. I, I just went to uh, Hawaii um, in October because my great uncle, my mom's uncle, was is uh, eighty years old, and we're just like, yeah, we got to see him because he's the carrier of all the stories. Got it. And and similarly, like he has kids uh, that were around on the island that he didn't uh, let them know. Right. And they just got they just got in contact like two years ago so (laughs) crazy thing is like they their relationship is brand new and his granddaughters from from his daughter it turns out one of them lives in seattle and the other one lives in vancouver and i moved into this in the pacific northwest wow so just this last thanksgiving my cousin blood cousin like like in my family yeah came down and we had thanksgiving together oh and she looks just like my great-grandmother wow so like i'm like a spitting image of my great-grandmother but she's never met my great-grandmother right and i'm just like oh my god you look just like grandma like it's yeah. it's it's weird and and it, it this this theme of like fathers not being there for their children and and like this fear or pressure or mm-hmm. or or reliving the same thing that they had gotten and is something that I'm in the process of unraveling. And yeah. I just did a podcast uh, when I was, uh, I did this thing when I went down to, to visit my brother. Like, I did this thing. I talked to my dad for the first time in three years. Yeah. <laughs> and we we had like a similar, like, 
he was there like he was just around but just wouldn't like uh just share any of himself like he kept that under lock and key for our whole lives and it's just like yo like don't you want to like go to my games you want to do something do you have did you learn anything along this right this thing called adulthood right and similarly like i had this this uh this anger like when I, I remember when i was like 22 i had him we're from our his side of the family's from youngstown ohio okay so like i would be like hey like ryan my brother and grandpa dad like i was like 22 like a little bit of like alcohol in the morning mm-hmm. i was just like you know what like i'm gonna sit sit everybody down and we're gonna squash this thing out yeah and i like confronted him i was like hey dad like i know you kind of maybe have your reasons for being the way that you are sure and you may have learned some things but like ryan and i like really want to have a relationship with you and and like we want you to to like let's have some fun like let's go do things let's talk let's do this right and like i basically laid it out for him to like take responsibility um for the way that he had raised us kind of like from afar from the get-go and i'm yeah. like hey here's a chance like let's let's do this thing and um he long story short, like he kind of like copped out and was like, when me and your mom split, like you went with her. And I'm just like, bro, like you just missed the whole, (laughs) the whole thing. It's like you had from, from birth till now, it's like you could have influenced us and to, to respect you and and hold you in a certain light and to, to hand off certain passions and stuff and, and to not take the opportunity um, is something that I had held on to for a long time of being like, why don't you like care about us and right. being able to go down there and and uh, off the off the uh, countless meditations and doing doing the work on myself first mm-hmm. and allowing myself to forgive mm-hmm. and just to be like, yo, you're just a dude that that's stuck in your own ways. Yeah, allowed me to get to that space of peace and and yeah. then now it's like, okay, like. <laughs> now like you're in a very unique position because you have sons and, right. and you get to 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 do uh the things that that weren't done with you yeah and, and what's that experience like yeah i mean it's uh, i think um something to the effect of just the idea of like their first or my first oh it's just yes. flipped yeah you know it's just the idea of just like oh i'm playing baseball i'm throwing the ball mm-hmm. to my son that's a first mm-hmm. for both of us. Um, and, you know, through therapy, they're always talking about, like, you know, revisiting your childhood um, and not really understanding what that means for me until I went through multiple sessions. But just the idea, um, you know, playing one-on-one with them, like, that's a first for me. Uh, having conversations with them, like, just all, all life with them are firsts for me. Cutting mm-hmm. down a Christmas, first for me. Mm-hmm. Um, with them, it's just the role reversal, but it's kind of like we're all in some, you know, I guess in Bogway, we're all kids and we're just like doing these things, but I just happen to be doing these things with my son. So there are times when it hits more than others where, wow, like we just did that together. Mm-hmm. That was a first. And I never got to do that, but I'm doing it with you. And like, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll totally take that. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Man, that's so big, too. It's like, that's. Like for them and for you at the same exact time, it's it's almost like unquantifiable because yeah. it's just it just runs so deep. Yeah, and it's and it is reprogramming, like memories that may not have happened or memories that 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 have things that have happened. Mm-hmm. But I look at like the forgiveness or like the new experience or or walking into 
experiences as reprogramming the past and in connecting those dots kind of like uh i guess like it's like a re-download and it's like yeah the old memory doesn't have to live anymore sure it's like once you can let go of that it becomes like cellularly like a different you become a different person yeah and there's a lot of ease that 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 can be assumed and it's kind of taking responsibility yeah of like our fathers i don't want to say sins because they they went through their their things but it's like when we take accountability for for those the limitations um i think i think uh we end that generational trauma for ourselves and our family yeah because it's like you're like you're not passing the same traumas on to your kids it's like you're creating life (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it was you know it was when i told hugh um at one point i was just like he asked me about my father um and this is before i actually started talking to my father and he was just like you know did you do this with your father and i was like my father wasn't around and he was like for him he was like what like that just didn't register for him because i'm around mm-hmm. so it was this it was like this whole thing went off in his head it was like well how can he be the dad he is to me and he didn't have one mm. um and just those examples of and you know not to not to go to that depth but for him who's a who, who he is if you meet Hugh very thoughtful warm loving teddy bear of a person um who would just he looked at me like wow you're really doing this with <laughs> so wow and like good job um <laughs> which is how what the old, look felt like sons? uh Hugh's 8 and Cullen's 11 wow um <laughs> so just his like just his intuition um and his his ability to kind of read uh, the room and read his father is also really sometimes creeps me out. Wow. Um, cause that's beautiful. He does it well. Yeah. What have you guys been doing lately? I've seen you guys are like with the Camp Yoshi stuff and just being out in nature yeah. and surfing and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was, I, so my partner, uh, Faith, hi Faith. Um, she's a film director. And so, um, me and friend, me and Rashad were friends previous to us actually moving out here to Portland. Mm. Um, and so we were friends back in DC. Oh, and wow. so, um, once he came out here, uh, it was hard to just nail him. He was like, Oh, like, I was like, are you here? Or are you back in New York? Cause he was just going back and forth at first. And so, um, they pitched this idea of like telling the story, a broader story of Camp Yoshi. Um, and so of course being a part of faith, it was like, you just want to just be in this. And I was like, okay. It's like food. Sure. Count me in. <laughs> um, so the boys were able to be a part of, um, it's just cool to be a part of what Rashad's doing, um, and be a part of that, re- that experience. But Portland in general, um, which I would say is like Springfield mass where I'm from, like on steroids, as far as like access to nature, um, the ability to go to the coast and surf um hike at any kind of mountain you want to and just the with all the madness that's happening it gives me the ability to have like visual space which i realize is huge for me um in the sense of just allowing me to think and process things Mm -hmm. and not see building or house or restaurant on top of restaurant or building on top of building but just see a mountain that is massive next to another mountain that is massive under some water, beautiful sky, sunset, all that does something to my body, which is like, oh, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you're okay. Um, so it just brings me back to just how we just did it this past weekend, just how small 
I am in this bigger thing, but also the impact that I can have on this bigger thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is what I appreciate most about Oregon is just in addition to other things, but just the access to nature to kind of like clear your head and get, get the answers. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I definitely experienced like ego death while being in nature. I'm just like, I am nothing. Right. And like, <laughs> it a, happens like very ego quick. just goes away. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? Like if you allow yourself for sure to get there. You're just like, Oh, this is not about me at all. No, not at all. At it, all. Yeah. And um, to let go of that yeah. self-importance, it's just like, wait, like it doesn't matter. Like right. what I do now. It's right. like, how could I be of service? You put yourself in like the back seat, and you're just like, Hey, how can I guide you? Like exactly. you just have the directions now. Let nature, let God, whatever you believe in, take yes. the wheel. And, and it's a much more fun ride because you get For to sure. see a lot more things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not holding on or trying to control things. Things just kind of just happen and you are, you know what flow is and you adapt and, oh, I was supposed to do that hike, but I can't do that hike. I'm going to do this one instead. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're surfing and you get your ass kicked for, you know, 90 minutes and you only catch one wave, but it was still worth oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that kind of stuff is really – and then just to see my boys kind of just like – the, you know, the irony of as a parent, um, the, and I, I saw this in a post once, but just the irony, I'm forgetting the sister's name, but when you're passing down as a parent, when you're passing down trauma, like, for example, guess one day we just moved to this house and, um, Cullen was like, they play this game where when a car goes by, they run around to the back. <laughs> and it's just like they think they're hiding, quote unquote, from air quotes, from the car. And, um, I was like, you can't do that. And they're like, why? And I was like, because people will think you're not here. Like, you're not supposed to live here. And so that became a whole discussion. Mm. And so I think what nature also does is takes the pressure off of a black father or parent to be, to let your kids literally find a place in nature and they can just go. And you are not worried about appearance. You are not worried about, about how they're presenting themselves. You are not worried about the interactions they're going to have with other people. You can literally let your kid, your black son, be as free as possible. Mm-hmm. And even in that, there are limits to that, which they are unaware of. So when we're driving down the street and we see, like, you know, Blue Lives Matter flags, and it's like, all right, cool, we take that on. But the ability to let your set your, your black son, your black child free and let them just roam and you don't have to worry for hours is such a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that, it's different from like, oh, all right, cool. My son's going to school. Hope he has a good day. Hope no one pulls his hair. Hope the teacher doesn't say something crazy to him. Hope um, his friends don't say anything crazy. Hope he doesn't do anything that's misinterpreted the wrong way. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is stuff you think about in the city, in real life. But in nature, none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff you think about, they can just go. And you just are you, you yourself, me, myself, have the ability to just watch them go and it's such a release yeah damn yeah we all need to just take cues from nature yeah it's just like it's like how can we implement these systems and and i'm not smart enough to (laughs) to create a system in which i just observe like instead of being like oh i know how we can it's just like being out there letting nature i have this like little brand concept but it's yield to nature yeah yield to nature and yeah. and we'll we'll figure out all the the, the answers to the problems that we yeah, all have i totally agree yeah so totally we're gonna agree. take a little like beautiful thank you for sharing uh like about your family and stuff because i know that <laughs> it's yeah. super important but yeah. but i think i think it's important to share 
Um, but I want to uh, go to like, what is the importance of language and words? Cause that's what you have dedicated your mm-hmm. life to is communication and, mm-hmm. and what that role has been for you, or maybe what are some of the books that inspired you to, to dive deeper into how you communicate? Yeah, I think, um, over the past, I think 2020, it really kind of hit me, um, the importance of story and that everything is a story and how we tell those stories, uh, really kind of mold, you know, it doesn't matter. I think stories are ageless. Like they can mold the mind of a 10 year old. It also mold the mind. I think if anything, last year showed it can mold the old mind of someone who has the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think language, how we speak to each other, to ourselves, minute by minute, day by day, truly determines and empowers how we live our lives. Um, and I think, uh, I read this book by, um, Eddie Glaude. I'm looking at it right now in my bookcase. Um, Begin Again, which was this whole thing around, um, kind of focus around James Baldwin and his work. Um, and I think, so language, I think for me is, you know, I work in agency or used to work in agency life. And so the power of story that you tell, like in agency life, you get to make up worlds. Mm-hmm. You get to literally like, oh, there's a bike, but I can tell you that bike can, can ride sideways, horizontal, diagonal, or I can tell you could float. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I have the power to do that. Um, but the reality is that bike just stays on the ground and it's really up to you. And so, but those are two different stories. And so which story is a story that you really need to tell? Versus the story that you quote unquote want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, you know, the thing around words, whether they're curse words, you know, the biggest word, the smallest word, I think they all have in some degree, in some context, an effect on people and shape people and shape this world and shape this society. And I think if we can get to a point where, you know, the idea of we'll take the topic of critical race theory. And I was just thinking about this yesterday about if you, if you like break down critical race theory, how critical it is for every race. If every race understood themselves, I think we'd be able to meet each other in the middle. Mm-hmm. And if every race understood their backstory, their history, their heritage, we'd be able to meet each other in the middle. But the resistance to knowing, like the wildness of the resistance to knowing information when one is at your fingertips mm-hmm. but the resistance is saying like ah, i don't we don't need to know that the fact in such that you don't need to know that is that it's going to mess up the story that you have told yourself about this country the story that you've told yourself about how you got this house how you inherited this land um how you can sit walk whatever that story um is the, so there's the when I say like to say a lot is there's the there's your narrative and there's the truth, mm-hmm. and that those two things like to check yourself and make sure make sure those two things match up together. For me, I'm not would never sit here and say that they have all the time, um, but it is an important to be honest with yourself on a day to day basis, but also use the language. So if you talk a negative, if you wake up and you stub your toe, and you wake up you say I'm gonna have a shitty day. You have a shitty day. Most definitely. You have a really, but if you say, ouch, I stubbed my toe, that hurt, moving on, I'm going to now continue to brush my teeth, 
this is going to be a great day. It's going to be, it might be hard, but it won't be shitty. Mm -hmm. And so I think what people, even myself included, forget sometimes is that literally the words that you speak does also does something functionally to your body. Yes. If I say like, oh gosh, that hurts. It's going to hurt more because you said it hurt. We're not saying you we're not telling you to dismiss the fact that it hurt, but the level of energy that you give to it and then the verbiage you give to it, that does something to your mental. It does something to you. You just told your body that really hurt or that was really hard. If you told your body that was really hard and I did it, it's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, for me in general, um, narrative words are just they're crucial and they're you know, <laughs> the other thing. It's what we have. Like, I, you know, I, I, I admire somebody like Trevor Noah who says, like, who knows eight languages? Because traveling enough, and not to say that I've traveled enough, but traveling enough, you realize if I was had the ability to go to, if I had the ability to speak French, Spanish, um, Asian, Mandarin, all these different languages, I can go into any world and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I don't know these languages cuts you off from the world. Cuts you off from literally having a conversation where then the person who doesn't know you is looking at you saying, "You're a tourist." The immediate thing is, "You're a tourist. You're just here to do whatever." But if I can talk to you and say hi to you in your language, the whole world opens up for that person, and then it opens up for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the irony in that, you know, how this country was founded was based off of. I, we need to strip everybody of their culture and language and there just needs to be one. So now we're just stuck with like, oh gosh, well, what do you know? It's English and like a little Spanish. Um, but th- I, the, the idea of what language does and how it can literally shape shift a world into now it's open and it's truly flat because I can talk to you in your language and you don't have to adjust to me and talk to me in my like. How crazy is I go to another country and I'm hoping they speak my language? Yeah. It's wild. Like the disrespect of just like, nah, when I go to Mexico, I'm hoping the people we talk to are have English in it because I don't really want to. Yeah, I had like a really rude awakening because like I I took Spanish like all through high school, all through college. And I've been to Mexico a few times and I've been like surprise like even last year like i was surprised at like how much i like retained and i was like oh i'm having these conversations but i was (laughs) i think it was just like uh a tribute to the people who i who i was with because they were like super like kind and just like welcoming and stuff but like dropped me into like a city where it's just like go 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 like the people that that i was like trying to speak with didn't have time for me and i was just like oh my gosh i thought i was better than i was and my vocabulary is very subpar and and I was just like a burden on any situation. I was like, okay, I need to really sit yeah. down and, and, and hit these books and get this vocab up. Yeah. And even our own language, I think, you know, that even if you took the English language, like I think we're, um, and I was listening to this writer, uh, amazing author, uh, writer, poet, uh, Ocean Byung, um, who also talks about like how even in our English language, we're just in this infancy stage. Like we don't even know how to properly sure use our language and i think you know the other thing around this world building the advantage of working at an agency in some respects is that you then naturally just start to think naturally about like but what could it be yeah so there's a yeah go ahead i feel like they're they're missing the mark or agencies or advertising is missing the mark because it's (laughs) 
I don't know, maybe I'm just jaded because they won't let me in. <laughs> but it's just like I'm of the like we can create worlds and it's just like why don't we create like the optimum world that's not like kind of like lace with this tongue in cheek cynicism as well. It's like mm-hmm. it's kind of like talking out of both sides of your mouth and like, y'all don't really mean that shit. Like yeah. and that and it's just over and over like re- wa- rinse and repeat like let's everybody knows what we should be doing but they intentionally like go like three notches below because i think it's like a disrespect to like the the audience yeah. it's like why don't we just go shoot for the moon and just make some high high level stuff yeah and not dumb it down because we think that the audience won't understand this whether or not they can interpret it they mm-hmm. are human yeah so if you're a human you don't have to, I guess, rely on intellect to to consume. Yeah. Like you can like like use your eyes, your ears, yeah. your senses. Yeah. Even though you can't quantify it like like conceptually, yes. it does not mean that the the intention behind the creativity does not sink into the person. And I think we want to have consensus on interpretation along. It's like, oh yeah, of course this is good and everybody can quantify it, but maybe some people We'll quantify it like three years from now. Like I listen to to music that like ten years ago, and then mm-hmm. like I listen to it now. Or if I read a book that mm-hmm. I reread now, I'm a different person, mm-hmm. and that's the person <laughs> that that can actualize and and implement whether it's like a policy or just like how to be in the world and right. and make the biggest impact. Because some people, it's gonna take a little bit longer for them for like stay in the oven a little bit longer. And then they'll be able to to uh, have more impact mm-hmm. with with uh, themselves in the world. But that's just like, yeah, way out there. Yeah, no, I you know I think there is something to um, there's something to you know wrote this thing around agencies knowing their agency um, and having the power of that and knowing you know th- being able to stand up or push back regardless of the dollar and tell the right story and tell mm-hmm. the true story, not the story that like the sexier the story or whatever, like the same way we feed to your point, the same way information is fed. The assumption is like, Oh, well we can like really cater to this demographic or that demographic. Sure. But I think if you tell the right story, like it hits everybody some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that's what hopefully the goal is. Um, and sometimes it goes like, Oh, we're just going to sell like, you know, this thing is like, all right, cool. Well, let's sell it. And it's fine. And that's mm-hmm. cool. And I think for that, in that respect, continue to do that. Um, but I think when it comes down to uh, stories that impact humanity, um, which they all do, but I think the stories that really get at the root of like the purpose of the story is to get at the root of humanity. Um, or, you know, when people say like, we want this to feel more human, <laughs> Because for whatever reason in the past it hasn't felt more human, it's felt you know like unattainable, or people couldn't you know you know reach it or whatever. So I think I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's something again because of language, uh, people are still figuring out how to tell a story. And some are saying like just tell them shorter, people can process them. Some are like oh we'll tell them longer. It's the idea of like long form versus short form. Mm-hmm. Some are like no just short bite stuff. Like yes everybody like consumes that sure because it's easier for people to consume. Sure. But if everybody started doing long form, who knows what happens? So the, the, what I'm trying to say is like what we feed them is what they take mm-hmm. versus. And so now we got to look at, well, what are we feeding? What are we saying? 
what does that diet look like? Um, and so to say that they can't do this other thing is to say that most people can't would not be able to do anything. Everybody can, to your point, everybody can process a thing. But if the if the crutch is, oh well, they don't really get it or they won't really get it, we're gonna tell the same stories. Yeah, well, it's like the nutrients is still there. Yeah, it's like they're they're still gonna take the nutrients. And I feel like with long form, regards to the long form and short form, it's like, lo- I I'm in love with long form because it allows me to shift my uh, opinions. It's like I'm like I would tend to believe that like nothing is fixed like right. I, I would I, at least I want to to be in that world where it's like we can work some shit out on the fly and, yeah. and then like leave with a more broad or or even more narrow perspective if if we get some evidence that supports our our right uh, our whatever thing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah totally agree yeah totally agree yeah so how do, have you seen I guess like the impact of your own words because mm-hmm. you're a poet and and using words to to express oneself and and what does that play a role outside of like professional settings and creating worlds for others mm-hmm. like how does it create a world an inner world for you to express the words that you've written um i don't know if it well i guess it would create a world that's just a little bit more peaceful and um understanding um but i don't know if i necessarily do it for like you know i'll write things or whatever and post it and people just say thank you and i had this conversation with another artist and it was just around like what if i just didn't have to write that what if i woke up one day thinking world building what if i woke up there and i didn't have to write about racism mm-hmm. what if i so when people say thank you it's like I don't really necessarily like I didn't do it for the thank you and in your thank you I think there's something to what do you what do you do with that instead of the thank you what do you do with that what do you do with those words Mm -hmm. um and how does that how do you then take those words and walk into the goal is like take my words and then go do good but the goal is like so what do you do with that beyond the thank you Mm -hmm. um and so I think for me, there's a sense of getting it off my chest, um, but there's also this sense of, in some small way, hoping that you are able to let somebody see another view mm-hmm. um, and, and provide another view of, but if you, if you maybe just like looked at it this way, um, and not to say that it's the way, but if you just, here's just another point of view of a, of a topic. Um, that that part is important to me to do because it's gotten, I think, increasingly frustrating to let the older I get, it's harder to let shit slide. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, you know, and when I say that, I think it's just the idea of, um, you know, in the past it was like, sure. Okay, fine. Just let that go. That wasn't a big deal. Perfect example, my mom would always say, it's not just a movie. Like, any movie we watched as a kid, my mom would say, oh, and like, her, you know, her friends would say, oh, it's just a movie. It's like, nah, it's not just a movie. And that's the thing about story. It's not just a story. Sure. Like, it's going to impact somebody. And so, being really delicate with the words that you use or apply to any space or any brand or yourself, um, that those words are important. And though it's doing something for me, 
the understanding is I'm not going to be so careless with them that somebody else reads them and it just has this huge impact mm-hmm. on them that mm-hmm. is negative. Yeah. I'd rather the impact be hard and and cause discomfort than um, me just like angrily like spewing. Yeah, which is easy. Like that's is that's like, the light work. I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> totally do that. But again, I think. It just goes back to like, well, what's the world I want to build knowing the history that I know? What's the world that I want to see for Cullen and Hugh knowing what I know and reading what I have read? And I'm not saying any of that to say like, I've read everything. But from what I know, the little that I know, how am I able to create, imagine, write a world that looks like it understands, that looks like it can breathe in an empathetic form that looks like it can listen, um, that looks like it can, <laughs> you know, be unconditional, be unconditional in love and not immediately judge or look at like someone, I forget who it was, but somebody talked about the idea of like, when you look at a tree, you don't judge it. It's a tree. You know, like, Oh, that tree is whatever. When you look at people, the first thing you do is like, oh, this, that, like you break the person oh, down. Yeah. Yeah. But go outside next time and look at a tree. It's just, a, you have no thoughts. Yeah. It's just a tree. Yeah. Like, you're not like, ew, that tree is, uh, you're just like, oh, there's another tree. That's another human. That's another human just like you. And they only know what they know. And for whatever reason, they believe what they believe and all those things. And those things even in that, for whatever reason, that statement of what are those reasons? Like to look at that. And I, again, it goes back to language. We are so nonchalant with things when we say, or oh, for whatever reason, or like, well, that is the case. Or like, we were talking about it before. Me and my partner were talking about like, it is what it is. Like, does that feel like, um, what's the word? What she said. But does it feel like. Uh, feels like you're just giving up. Ableist. Mm-hmm. It just gives you the, the, the space to say like, oh, it is what it is. Sure. And it's like, but let's really look at why it is that and not dismiss it to just like, yep, that's – and as to your point, as that we – so because it is what it is, we can't change yeah, it. Yeah, it, it is what it is is like judgment without form. Yeah. It's just like – it just exists there, but it's just like it, – it exists in like like an invisible box. Yes. <laughs> it just like it, – it can't go anywhere, but from <laughs> – from the perspective, it's like, oh, yeah, you have freedom, but it's like it knows that it cannot move. Right. And it's like you are trapped within that space and in the opportunities that we all have to shift our own language yeah. and, and catching ourselves before we even blurt something out. It's yeah. like the I feel like course correction is like the highest form of like self like learning. Yeah. Is is we have we we have all these programs and we we fire them off but if we have like that little brief like moment of reflection to just hold ourselves and yeah. then reconvene and and go a different route like that's how we change behaviors yeah. that's how that's how we change like the people around us cuz we change our decision making and our choices and people recognize that and and that's i feel like that's how we change the world is is I mean, yeah, it's just, starting with ourselves, yes. but then, but then other people see that and creating space and, and an example of 
of what can be done because a lot of people walk around like thinking that it has to be the way that it has been when you're talking about like people holding on to the story because they feel like that's the only way that it can be to have any sort of relationship to the reality or false reality or narrative that they've created so far right it's just being like yeah to your point just starting with yourself just being like like the simplest thing you know your mother your father or your guardian taught you was you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything and we forget like oh but what if we apply that to ourselves like if i literally don't have anything nice to say, like i there's nothing to say then until i find the language mm-hmm. to talk with a person if it really bothers you that much then talk to the person Instead of just like, oh, I'm going to downplay this person, but I'm not going to talk about it, then you've just wasted five minutes doing whatever. And again, I say none of this. I preface all of this to say I do not, I am not perfect in any sense of like, yep, I got this. I do this all the time. Um, but I think we can be just start to stay a little more nice to each other. Um, and if you don't agree with someone, um, the, the, the immediate dismission, like, I don't like the word, I don't like Karen. I hate when people say Karen Mm -hmm. because for me, you've now shut that person. You shut that quote unquote, because it applies to white women. You shut that white woman completely down. And now this white woman, you don't have, you have blocked off your ability to have conversation with her because that's Karen being Karen. So that's it. Mm-hmm. Karen just Karen and you just walk on about your life instead of having a conversation with Karen or Karen having a conversation with you same way they say uh, yeah she's a strong black woman she don't want to be strong she mm-hmm. just wants to be a woman mm-hmm. we live in a world where she can't just be a woman She uh, there's black in front of that but so I think those when we say that when you say when, if I say like she's a strong black woman I've now it, I've embodied her and empowered her with all this shit she don't want Sure. she didn't ask for um, but when you say like, oh, there's Karen, you're just like, yep, okay. You've literally dismissed and shut down any opportunity for any conversation. And what you also say is, I'm not trying to have a conversation with you. So how do we get anywhere? Do you feel like that's like a byproduct of cancel culture in itself? Because it's, I feel like it's just like a double-edged sword right there. I mean, I think, again, I think that's another term I highly dislike. <laughs> I just, cancel culture, whoever invented the term... It's really about accountability. Mm-hmm. It's not about canceling anybody. The the again, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. The idea of, um, all oh, that person's canceled. You know who on this earth is perfect, and I'm not saying I'm not saying, um, let's just pull it out. I'm not saying Bill Cosby should Bill Cosby should be dealt with. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, should be dealt with, and not the way he was. That whatever the laws were what they decided to, to bring about where it like basically freed him. Horrible. Yeah. I don't even know Horrible. How, how that, how that even happened. How I they hooked no that whole thing up. So no like clue. he literally knew like, like I'm a walk scot free, but the idea of cancel culture, the term itself um, is not a term. It's a term again, that just enables. Yep. Well, we can just cancel it out and we're not, we're going to shut yeah, that out. Yeah. We're not it's just have, lazy. Yeah, it's a lazy, like, like no dialogue. We're just going to like, X that yeah, gone done. And so what is that? How does that help anyone get anywhere? How does that help somebody else who might be walking in? God forbid, Bill Cosby's footsteps act differently. Sure. And so I just think terms like Karen cancel culture, strong black, all these things that we then somehow in these spaces embody because 
people say it enough. The mm-hmm. same way if I woke up every day and said and told you you're stupid for the next 50 years, in 10 years, you just like, because I've heard it every day, I'm stupid. Sure. I hear a Karen every day, there's a Karen. If I hear strong black woman, it, it, I don't, and so these terms the best thing, one of the best things I heard was like, when you call yourself a thing, you embody all of that. Yeah. If I say I'm a writer, I now, all the things that I think about, I have to think, quote unquote, air quotes again, to think in this writer's yeah. terms. Like the same the label, way. The labels, it's like. I you were like a writer before this. Break, you, breaking out of all the labels. Right. You were expressing yourself however you expressed yourself before that. But someone then said you're a writer and all of a sudden, you have to change something. Yeah. Which is the farthest thing from the truth. Or someone says, you're a strategist now. You've been thinking strategically your entire like when it comes to ideas and how you think and how you see things. We're just talking marketing, whatever. You see a thing, and then someone says, Cool, I like how you've been doing this work for the past three years. I'm gonna hire you as a strategist. And then you think, Oh my god, I'm a strategist. That's what the hell you've been the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we take these things on of labels of I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a th- you're your per you're yourself first. Mm-hmm before you're anything else if you keep that at the root of who at, at, of how you move in this world whatever people throw on you that's them throwing it on you yes it is theirs. not it's, you, it's not yours to take my favorite thing in the world is somebody throwing something onto you and then it just sliding right off or going through you yeah. and then it's just like it you don't carry the weight because it is a weight and it's just like to to witness that evolution and growth within like a human being and everyone right. has their own experience to that happening for them. But when you stop living uh, in the shadow of like the narrative that you've created for yourself or like the people around you holding you to that narrative right. and then they thrash around because you're not the same old right. Amiri as, as when you're a kids and right. stuff. And I'm not the same Aaron when I go to San Diego and, and when people try to put you in these places and you know, like no that's not me that's not me like but i respect i respect i respect your journey in keeping that and holding that onto your right like structure because that makes you feel like you like you holding this this narrative about me makes you feel more like you but it doesn't it's not me yeah um so how do you relate to the label brand narrative director Uh, <laughs> I think that was the coldest great, segue I've ever segue. done. Yeah, the coldest that one. That was smooth. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, I, it's, again, I think it's, I think it's important only for what it means for story and what it means for the stories that I hope to get to tell. Mm. Um, and that the hope is that some of those stories, um, if not all impact someone and or someone's in some ways. Um, and that to me again with language is like, I'll fall on that. Um, because I just wholeheartedly believe that words really, and I, it's so funny. Cause when I was a kid, I was like, words have power, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is stupid. No, they don't. It was like, it's a word or the same way. I was like, it's not just a movie. I think those things, are truly important and so the more the more you read the more you um listen um and you figure that stuff out i or hear those things i think when you have titles like brand air director um the responsibility is that much more Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it's it is it's way less of i'm the marinero director versus like 
we have the we have the power to tell some incredible stories. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I that's if there is if there is something that would keep me up at night. It's just like, am I telling with this team the best stories that mm-hmm. have the best impact? Yeah, most definitely. Like the responsibility, but then also like the perspective of knowing that it takes like a lot of like. I want to say like I don't want to say downtime but just like research just to get like to the core and the essence to develop something over sure. time cuz it's like everything's so quick 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 we got to get these images these stories and we got to re- but it's just like like t- doing the due diligence to yeah. connect all the dots and and ask all the right questions yes. and in and be mindful that like sometimes it takes a while for you to get the response like the true response because yeah. a lot of times it's like a lot of stories are kept under lock and key, yeah. but it's like as a means of survival at right. a lot of the times where it's just right. like, Oh yeah, I'm going to give you this. You're asking me this question. I'm going to give you this ready wrapped right. like, thing. But if you really sit down, spend a couple more hours at, at this location, undisclosed location right. in the deep South right. and, and right. have a couple more scotches, right. then you'll get the real story and, and yeah. being there to listen and, and, recognizing those cues of of like oh like this is the the essence of the story this feeling that i'm having that i'm sharing with this person is what i need to transmit right into these global communication right. strategies but do we have do we give ourselves enough time to actually like find that yeah yeah and i would you know i would honestly say no um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not i was like the issues need to get off the shelf yep now totally don't. <laughs> um and i think you know there's something to obviously you know if you thought of it at, you know editorial kind of any sort just being able to plan ahead um, so you know that stuff, but also being nimble in that, in that things in this world, as fast as it moves, it, you know, it changes. And so, but again, you know, that idea of pace, uh, and going at your pace versus worrying about what anybody else is doing or what any other brand is doing or how fast they're doing things, mm-hmm. um, versus I'd much rather walk away from, a role of brand air director knowing that people were like, I fuck with this brand because I trust this brand and this brand isn't going to sell me some whatever. Like I really trust like this, but like, I'm going to be a Philly. I want to be mm-hmm. regardless. This is blasphemy. But regardless if I like the product or not, I fuck with the brand. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, in a world where everyone wants control so much now of their story it is not you know whether you're an influencer whether you're a director whether you're um, a filmmaker whether you're a photographer whether you're a writer whether you are a lawyer doctor anthropologist whatever you are people right now i think want so much more control of their story and the story of their culture folk community, family, whatever, because what, you know, brands carelessly have done is taken it and just like throwing it out there and said, see, yep, this reflects that. Right. And it's like, no, you totally missed the mark. Um, and so I think knowing that we don't have the right to come in and just say, Oh, we're just going to control and tell the story and tell this narrative and do this thing. It's like, we have to listen, Mm -hmm. um, and act and acknowledge what we know and what we don't know. Um, and that, 
to your point, takes time. Yeah, that goes all the way back to the beginning. Yep. <laughs> full circle. Yeah, completely full, full circle. Full circle. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with our beautiful listeners? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've said enough. No, uh, I, I think, no, thank um, you. honestly, I think just I would say be kind to yourselves. Be kind in how you talk to yourselves. Um, be kind in how you talk to others. Um, and be, be patient with yourself and how you talk to others. If you don't have the, if you don't have the space, energy, or time to have the conversation right there, hopefully you have the maturity to move out of that. And the other person that you're talking to or people that you're talking to have the maturity to give you the time to then come to a place mm-hmm. where you can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I would say we, all we have is each other and words and how we talk to each other. And the first thing that lets a person know, informs a person whether you can have a conversation with them now are words. I could come at you and look at you crazy, but if I say the first thing out of my mouth is just tender and kind, oh, maybe you just had a fly in your eye or, you know, the sun was bright or something. But, you know, I think just the idea of being able to communicate and not dismiss people based off of theory, theme, social, stereotype, whatever, and just hear the other person out. And hopefully the other person hears you out. Uh, hopefully we get to a a better place. Yeah, I think we will. And to piggyback off of, of that is like being in tune with how we're feeling when we say words and when we hear words. Because yes. it's, it's tied together. Yeah, and like I'm sorry like, what I said just, to you when I was hungry. <laughs> just Yeah, just always checking in uh, with how we're feeling and – uh, prioritizing that over everything else and, yes. and putting ourselves in situations to yeah to do good. I would say the strongest, uh, the best, one of the best pieces I got from my therapist was uh, the, the most compassionate people set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And if you have the ability to do that, and it's not that you're dismissing the people or your community or your family or off or your friends or your partner, it's just you need the space to take care of you to then be able to take care of everybody else. Preach. Word. Well, oh, yeah. where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, <laughs> if you want to be found. That is if you want to be found. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm on Instagram um, at Amiri underscore Rose. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to give out my number. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm on interwebs at Amiri underscore Rose on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, I'm around. I'm around. Dope. Well, thank you, Amiri. And thank you all for listening to Opening Presence.